You're listening to the Island Church Podcast. If you'd like more information or to donate to this ministry, visit islandchurch.tv. Well, I, uh, I read this week that demographics are destiny. I thought it was interesting and goes on to say uh, and talk about uh, the baby boomer generation. I, I'm a part of the baby boomer generation. Uh, we were always the largest segment of uh, Americans. However, in 2019, we've now been placed by the millennial generation. Uh, millennials are now the largest sec- uh, segment of our population. Millennials are those, are those folks between 25 and 39. So this next decade is going to be a huge transition in the church as millennials move into middle age. Gen Xers will be uh, growing into their 50s and 60s and boomers will be retiring and dying. And so... Isn't that encouraging? (laughs) Currently, baby boomers are retiring at a rate of 10,000 a day. Baby boomers are in control of two-thirds of the nation's disposable income. So, in honor of the fact that in this season of the year, we have a lot of baby boomers uh, with us, um, here are some songs from your generation or our generation. There's songs that maybe some of them you grew up loving. The titles have been changed to reflect our age. All right, so how about this? It's uh, the Herman's Hermits singing, Mrs. Brown, you sure have a lovely walker. (laughs) The Bee Gees singing, how do you mend a broken hip? Leo Sayre singing, you make me feel like napping. (laughs) Roberta Flack, she's now 82, the first time ever I forgot your face. (laughs) Paul Simon singing, 50 ways to lose your liver. (laughs) The King of Soul, Marvin Gaye singing, I heard it through the grape nuts. The Scandinavian group ABBA singing, Denture Queen, Old and Mean, Taking Dramamine. (laughs) And this is my favorite, Ringo Starr, the drummer from the Beatles, who is now 79, singing, I get by with a little help from Depends. (laughs) Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to see you at church today. I'm so thankful you're here. God is doing an amazing work in this church. The last five weeks in our three services, we have had over 800 five weeks in a row. When you add with with that our Hispanic campus, over 900 for the last five weeks in a row. Can you say praise the Lord for that? That's pretty amazing. People's lives are being changed. There's good things happening. There's a good spirit in the church. There's life, energy, and, um, and we're in this series on the book of John. I love this. This message today, I, I kept telling Liz, I can't wait. 
it's, this is so, so powerful to me. There's so much that I, I've learned from this. And it's actually a passage that, that on the surface, I, I would probably not really delve into. I would read it and try to glean from it, but, would, but wouldn't delve in. But being a part of a verse by verse, walking through the book of John, and when, you, when I got to going into it, I thought, man, there are things here that literally challenged me, inspired me, things that I've never seen before. And I hope this is a blessing to you today. Um, there's a lot of verses, so it's in your notes if you're online. The first verses uh, 22 through 30 of John 10. I'm not gonna read through all these verses. I'm gonna incorporate them into the message as we walk through it. But in these first verses, Jesus is talking about my sheep hear my voice. That's been the last, last two weeks of, of messages. Uh, and they know me and they follow me. He knows us by name. Uh, he says, I give them eternal life. They will never perish and no one will snatch them from my hand. He goes on in verse 29 to say that, um, that no one will be able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. They are verses on assurance. Verses on assurance. There's so many people that, that hope that, that they're Christians. They hope that, that they're gonna make it to heaven. But the Bible, the Bible doesn't teach a hope strategy when it comes to your salvation. The, the Bible teaches that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, you hear me say this all the time, not easy believism, not just, well, I believe, therefore I'm going to heaven. No, but I believe and I trust, I surrender. I put God first, I'm leaning on him, I'm obeying him. If I believe and I confess with my mouth, the Lord, Jesus, you be in charge. I've tried to run my life. I'm asking for you. I surrender to you, Lord Jesus. And then if we believe in our heart, God raised Jesus from the dead, it says you will be saved. It doesn't say you may be saved or you can hope you're saved. It says you will be saved. And so we can have an assurance when we, when we say yes, when God knocks on our heart door, we say yes, we can have assurance. We can know that we know that we know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And he's saying, man, the enemy, there's nothing. You don't have to live in fear and anxiety, hoping you can know because you know this, God's word cannot lie. And so there is our confidence. Then in these next verses, uh, Jesus is at the temple at the Feast of Dedication and the Jewish leaders are all around him and, and they said, you know, we're tired of these metaphors and these parables. Just, just, just tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? And, and Jesus tells them that he, he is God, that he and the Father are one and they become irate and they pick up stones and they are ready to kill him. So this passage starts with some pretty tense situations happening there in Jerusalem, and it ends with Jesus taking some time to be at the place where he was baptized, interesting enough, and, and just taking a little bit of time because the next phase of his life is going to lead him to the cross. And so he's there, and even people come to him, and at that place, many believed on Jesus. So let's jump Let's jump into this. What we're looking at today is the transforming truth about Jesus. First thing, 
is this. We are born with a tendency to reject the truth about Jesus. Here's what scripture says in verse 29, John 10. My father who uh, has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, uh, I have shown you many good works from the father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, it's not for the, a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. See, the Jews rejected the truth that Jesus claimed that day. And all of us have a tendency to say no to the truth. And here's why. We are all born with a sinful condition. Augustine, a great bishop, pastor in North Africa in the, that lived in the fifth, fifth century, he said this, we are born with a propensity to sin and the necessity to die. Sin and death. Sin and death, two of the most pressing problems for all humanity. And in every culture all over the world, people are asking those questions. See, we sin because we're born into sin. By sin, by one man's sin entered into the world, just by Grace entered into the world by Jesus. Sin entered into the world by Adam. And because Adam sinned, we are all born into sin. It's the, the fallen man. It's how every one of us are born. And we are born and we need a savior. Secondly, uh, we know this. Jesus is the only one to ever conquer death. So what's gonna happen after death? Well, if we know Jesus, we are gonna conquer death. We know Jesus ain't no grave gonna hold this body down, amen? Why? Because we're coming up. You know, they say you can't bury Christians, you just plant them because they're coming up. And I believe that, that's the word of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. And so then we which are alive and remain will be caught up to be with the Lord forever. So when we know the Lord, we have the assurance of eternity with him. Of course, if we don't know the Lord, we have eternal life in separation from, from God. Ephesians chapter two and verse three, it says, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, crying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, by nature, were born into this, children of wrath, like the rest, like every other, like the rest of mankind. We're all children of wrath. What's that mean? It means this. Our default response to God is to reject his love. We resist getting close to God. We pull back. Let me illustrate it this way now. This isn't all teenagers, and, and it doesn't mean that a teenager is rebellious. 
It's just a part of growing up. It's a part of, of independence, of I can do this, of wanting to do it myself. Lord, I, I see that in, um, in Ida. And she's two and a half years old, my granddaughter. No, Papa, I'll do it. Man, she lets me know she can do it herself. And so, so there's this, this, this desire in us to, to want to be independent. When my kids are little, they come running, pop, you know, daddy, daddy. And I come in from the office and they want to play. They want to show me something in the room. They want to go outside, jump on the trampoline, play ball, go where I go, do what I do. When they reach puberty, something happens. And, and all of a sudden, Maybe they don't want to hang out as much. They want to, they want to kind of recluse to their room, be with friends, listen to music, watch movies. I can remember when we go to the mall, man, they used to hold my hand. We walked the mall. They want to show me every store, go see toys, all these things. But when they, when they became teenagers, they would walk 20 feet in front of me and turn around just to make sure I wasn't getting any closer to them. <laughs> want a little distance. They want to go to their room and shut the door, have some, have some privacy, if you will. Well, think of it this way. In our sinful condition, we are like spiritual teenagers, and we don't want to run into the arms of God. We feel safer hiding in the bedroom of our self-centeredness. I'll tell you the perfect illustration of that is Adam and Eve, because when God created Adam and Eve, the Bible says he would come down in the cool of the evening and they would walk through the garden and fellowship. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Wow. Walk through the garden, talking with God. But what happened? They sinned. And when they sinned, God came down like he did every evening to walk with them and fellowship with them. But what did they do? They hid in the bedroom of their selfishness and self-centeredness Sin caused them to be distant. So they no longer were running to God's arms. The Bible says it this way, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. There is a tendency for us to reject the truth about Jesus. So you've got to overcome that, that tendency. In order to come to faith to Christ, you have to resist the tendency to reject truth. You got to get rid of all your excuses as to why you don't live for God and why you don't serve God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And some people have theological or philosophical reasons, which that's fine. Questions are good. God can handle questions. I'd say keep asking, keep pursuing, because if you seek truth through to its fullest extent, you will always find Jesus. Keep seeking. I don't have people come with as many theological or philosophical questions as I do that people come to me and say, listen, I, I, shoot, I ain't gonna live for God or I don't wanna come to your church. I don't wanna go to church. Pastor, hey preacher, you know, do you know that your church is full of hypocrites? And I say, well, absolutely. Absolutely I do. It's a small town and I'm on Facebook. I know that. And then I'll say, hey, and by the way, we got room for one more, so why don't you come on? 
See, I think the church is the greatest place in all the world for hypocrites to be because I believe that there's an anointing here, there's a power of God here, and God's going to move some people to get out of hypocrisy and get into a committed life and relationship with Jesus. Amen? That's what, I, that's what we're going for. So God is wooing us into this love relationship. He loves us so much, loves you so much. God sent his only son into the world so that you wouldn't have to die in your sins, but you can have eternal life with him. Here's the second thing I want you to see in this. this the, these are transforming truths. We're given reasons to believe in the truth about Jesus. See, God doesn't expect us to just blindly believe. He's given us the witness of his word that testifies to the truth of Jesus. He's given us the witness of the Holy Spirit to confirm the truth. See, it's the Holy Spirit that convicts. It's the Holy Spirit that draws. And then the Bible says, no one comes to the Father but by me, but by Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit is, is at work and he's, and he's drawing us. So it's just not this this blind belief, but we have the Word and we have the Holy Spirit. How about this? Let me give you a few reasons that I see in this scripture. And it's what Jesus, is what he's trying to do with the, with the religious mafia of that day. Reason number one, these are, these are reasons to believe in the truth about Jesus, the words of Jesus. You know, Jesus made some amazing claims. In John 10, 7, he said, I'm the door. I'm the only way to salvation. In John 10, 14, he said, I'm the good shepherd. But probably the most, the most audacious claim that he made was he said, I'm God. And he said, I and the Father are one. We all understand that God exists eternally in three persons. Can we say that together? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we believe Jesus is God. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We preach that on who Jesus is, that Jesus is God. He and the Father are one. All right? So we, so we, have, we have that understanding. In John chapter 9, when Jesus heals the blind man, what happened? That blind man worshipped Jesus. Oh, wait a minute. Worship is reserved for God alone. Jesus is God. And he worshiped Jesus. In John chapter 20, Jesus appears. He's now resurrected. He's died. He's buried. He's resurrected. And he appears to the disciples. This time, and Thomas is there. And they've told Thomas that Jesus is lying. He said, I won't believe it unless I put my hand in his nails and my, put my my hand in his, in his side and where the spear went in. And Jesus appeared and he goes, hey, Thomas, put your fingers in these nail prints. Thrust your hand in my side. And what did Thomas, what was his response? He said, my Lord and my God. Jesus is God. Liberal theologians insist that Jesus never claimed to be God. There are major, two major cults in America, big cults in our world today in America that do not believe 
that Jesus is indeed Christ or the Lord. They deny the deity of Christ. These Jewish people understood what he was saying, but they despised him for it. And they picked up their rocks and they were ready to execute him for blasphemy. He said, which one of the, which one of the works are you upset at? They said, it's not your work, but it's your words. It's your words. You, you, you being a man have made yourself to be God. See, actually, it just shows how blind they were because actually it's just the opposite of that. He's God who made himself to be a man. See, because he claimed to be God, they wanted to kill him. But because he claimed to be God, I, I want to worship him, live for him, and serve him. See, see how, see how blind they were to the truth? They just didn't get it. So the words, what about this? What about the works? What about the works of Jesus? John 10, 37 and 38. If I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe in the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. Listen, his works backed up his words. He claimed to be God and he did things that only God could do. In the next chapter, he raises Lazarus from the dead. Our God raises the dead. Wow, how about that? What about John chapter three? Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, John 3, 2, and says, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God. Watch this. For no one can do these signs or these miracles. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Way to go, Nick. You got that one right. That's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. No one can do these things unless, unless God is with him. Listen, in verses 37 and 38, we just read them. He's saying, look at my works. You don't believe my words, but look at my words. Now listen closely. Everybody listen real good. Because when I discovered this, it, this is mind-blowing to me. It's also, it's, it's driving me with a sense of urgency. But what he is doing is he is giving his enemies one last chance to believe in him. Look at my works. Look at my works. You know the paralytic man. You saw him. He was paralyzed 38 years and now he's walking around completely well. Y'all know Y'all know that man was blind, but now he has 20-20 vision. He's saying, look at my works. My works will convince you because, because my works back up my claims. I'm amazed at the grace and the patience of Jesus. I mean, these guys would test you greatly. 
They're arguing. They're opposition. They're mocking and making fun of and trying to humiliate and trying to trap, poking at, doing everything they can to undermine and twist and twist his words. And they're standing there doing all this with rocks in their hand. You know, it's a good thing I'm not God. He, he's giving them one last invitation. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I might have said, okay, boys, you pushed me far enough. Now we're going to do a little shock and all right here. And I'm going to call some fire down from heaven. We're going to deal with, see, you know what? I, I don't like it. I don't like it. People poke and make fun. The same, same old poke, make fun joke and, and, and try to humiliate and want to, you know, and I'm, I'll go along and I love that joke and have fun with the best of them. But, but there's sometimes it just goes on and on and just, just bug you and bug you and bug you and bug you. And, and I, lose my, I lose my patience when people want to mock and make fun of At some juncture, I just, I just kind of lose my patience. That's not an excuse. I've got to learn to walk away more. Hold my tongue a little bit. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Because that's exactly what Jesus did. He's giving them one more chance. You know, that, that shock and awe thing, that's exactly what the disciples wanted to do. Man, they got frustrated. They said, let's call fire down on them. Let's, let's just deal with this. See, that's not the nature of God. That's not the fruit of the Spirit working. And Jesus is demonstrating in the most difficult of circumstance outside of his mock trial that's about to happen, he's demonstrating grace to these guys. He's giving them their last invitation to believe, to believe and to come and know and understand that he's God. Because what's getting ready to happen is he's going to leave there and then, then it's Palm Sunday and then it's the crucifixion and then it's the empty tomb. It's the resurrection. And guess what? Through all that, they didn't believe. They weren't going to believe. He knew that. He knows all things. And so I think it's a plea. I think he's pleading, guys, guys, if you won't listen to my words, will you at least look at these works? Would you see these? Would you see what I'm doing because my works are backing up my words? See, I can't help but think if Jesus, and see, he's God, and he understood that this was the last invitation and plea to them. And I know this may sound dramatic and I don't mean for it to be dramatic, but I, I can't preach this without going here because it is such a natural. Do you realize that for some, this could be your last invitation? You know, when we're young, we think we're invis invincible. We all think we've got more time. My first cousin passed away yesterday morning. He just retired. They just bought tickets to go to Hawaii. His wife came home from work and found him. 
I'm sure he thought there's a lot of time. We got a lot of living in retirement to do. None of us know. And, 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 and without sounding so dramatic, this, this could be someone's last invitation. I don't know, but Jesus knew he was God. And I would say this, if God's knocking at your heart, if he's knocking, I would say thank you, Lord, for giving me another opportunity and run to an altar and say, God, come into my life, make me new, change me, help me to live for you. I want to believe and live and have life and life more abundantly and life eternally. Yeah. You know, the Bible says this. The Bible says, we don't go down this road often, but you know the Bible says that God's spirit will not always strive with man. There'll not always be that conviction. There'll not always be that opportunity, that invitation. The Bible says this. The Bible says that we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Some people think that grieving the Holy Spirit is mocking or making fun of the Holy Spirit. Man, you talk about the Holy Spirit. You talk about the Holy Ghost, don't you, preacher? And mock and make fun of it. Or uh, mock or make fun uh, that someone would speak in tongues. And that by doing that, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. I, I don't think that has anything to do with it. I think grieving the Holy Spirit is more about this. The Holy Spirit is tugging at and knocking at your heart's door. And you continue to reject him and reject him and reject him and reject him. And you don't respond and you don't respond and you don't respond and you don't respond. And finally, he's grieved and he just says, I'm not welcome here. And he backs off. I would hate, oh God, I would hate to grieve. I would hate to grieve the Holy Spirit. If God's tugging at your heart, I think of it this way, today is your day of salvation. Think of it like, like Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. Amen? Amen. How about this? How, you know, we got the words of Jesus, we got the works. These are, these are all things that, that uh, are speaking concerning the truth and who he is. How about the power? The power. It says right here in John 10, 39, and they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. You know, this wasn't the first time that he did this. Do you know that up till now in this book, in this, these first 10 chapters, five times. That's, that's a lot, isn't it? Five times they try to arrest him, or try to stone him. Man, they were after him. And the Bible says that he, that he escaped. Now, what does that mean? I don't, I don't really know. Doesn't say. Was he faster than him? Maybe he was faster. Maybe he just was, man, he, he's gone. They couldn't catch him. Maybe he was stronger. Maybe he just kicked the man. He was a scrapper and he just let, and he, they, there was a bunch of them and he overcame them all. Maybe a supernatural. 
I, I lean towards that one. I don't know if he, they were paralyzed. I don't know if they were blinded. But the Bible says that he escaped. I just want you to know this. We have seen the power of God work in lives and marriages. We have the word of God which speaks of the miracles, which are examples to us to help us understand that his claims are backed up by his works. Amen. The power of God. I don't know how he escaped. I know why he escaped. He escaped because he knew he wasn't to die at the Feast of Dedication. He knew it would be at Passover because he would be the Passover lamb. He knew that he wasn't going to die by being stoned to death, but rather he would be crucified. He had complete control. Remember last week we talked about this. I have the power to lay down my life for my sheep and I have the power to take it up. Any dad worth his salt in here would lay down his life for his wife or for his kids. We just don't have the power to, to raise ourselves up. Remember me talking to you about, about my friend who preached for me out in California and did a men's conference and, and he was uh, secret service and he was on detail for President Reagan and when the guns came out, when, when shots were being fired, he said they were trained. You, you know, we go small, but they were trained. Go big. And he used to preach a sermon, getting big for God. He said, man, when the guns start flying, the bullets start flying, he says, you get big because you're going to take a bullet for the president. See, you can take a bullet for the president, you just can't raise your life up again. Jesus is the only one who could die, be buried. He wasn't just in the jaws of death. He was in the stomach of death and he was able to come alive and he's alive and he'll never die again. Wow. What a God. We're talking about the power of God. And then you got to think about this. Most of Jesus' miracles aren't even recorded. The Bible says in John 20, then he, or uh, yeah, John 20 and verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciple, which are not written in this book. But these are written. Here's why these signs, here's why these miracles are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Oh, isn't that awesome? Amen. You're required to respond. Nobody gets to say, I pass. I pass on that one. He gave those leaders one last invitation. They rejected him. But all of us have to respond. Everyone is confronted with the truth and has to give a response. C.S. Lewis wrote this. If you had gone to Muhammad and asked him, are you Allah? He would have torn his clothes and then cut your head off. In my opinion, the only person who can say that sort of thing is either God or a complete lunatic suffering from that form of delusion which undermines the whole mind of man. We may note in passing that he is never regarded as a mere moral teacher. He did not produce that effect on any of the people who actually met him. He produced mainly three effects. Hatred, we see that. Terror and adoration. There is no trace of people expressing mild approval. In other words, 
There's no lukewarmness. There's no American Christianity. Well, I go to church, bless God, I'm gonna live however I wanna live. Nobody's gonna tell me how to live. He's saying there's really none of that. Either you're in or you're out, either you're hot or you're cold. It was C.S. Lewis who said, you know, you're gonna believe something about Jesus. Either you're gonna believe that he's a liar, that everything he said is a lie, or you're gonna believe he's a lunatic, that he is out of his ever-loving mind, or you're gonna believe that he's Lord. But you're gonna believe one of those. Because if you reject Jesus, then you're just saying he's a liar, or you're saying he's crazy. Or you have to say, yes, what he said is true, then I must surrender my life and live for him with all of my heart. So today, the question is this. Have you received Jesus Christ? What is your response to the truth of Jesus Christ? Here's the takeaway. The truth about Jesus isn't just something to believe. It's not just something, some facts to inform you. It is life-giving. It is the life-giving truth that transforms you. Oh, that's good. Come on. I know it's lunchtime, but you got one minute. It's good, amen? It's life-giving truth that transforms you. See, belief that doesn't affect your behavior isn't truth belief, isn't true belief. If you say, I believe in God, but you don't live any different, you don't really believe. If it doesn't affect your behavior, if you believe Jesus is God, it will affect the way you approach your marriage. You will recognize that she is God's daughter and that he is always watching, and that you are to treat her with the dignity and respect and the love and to cherish her and provide and take care. If you truly believe, it'll affect the way you are as a wife and you'll love your husband and you'll be faithful and true and he'll be safe with you. You'll honor him. You'll inspire, you'll inspire him. If you truly believe Jesus is God, it will affect your singleness. You're not gonna be sleeping around, having sex before marriage. You're not gonna, you're not gonna be hitting a late bar, you know, bar scene and, and looking for love in all the wrong places type thing. You're not gonna be crowding around. You're gonna wanna keep yourself and live whole and pursue God, believing that God, you know I wanna get married. You know I want you to bring someone. God, bring that person to my life instead of trying to light your own fire. If you really believe in Jesus and the truth of Jesus, you'll be a different parent. You'll be a different grandparent. You'll be a different boss. You'll be the kind of boss that your employees are gonna wanna bust themselves for and if you're an employee and you believe the truth and you live for God, it changes you. You're gonna, you're gonna help your boss to be successful. You're gonna quit gossiping and bite, uh, uh, backbiting and, and, and being late and, and, and causing trouble, moaning, griping. If you really love God, it's gonna affect your hobbies. 
Hobbies are great. Hobbies can't keep you away from God, keep you away from his house. It's gonna affect the way you handle money. The way you handle money. If you belong to God, you're part of this church. Listen, tithing is God's plan. It'll affect, we, see the problem is people don't see it as stewards, they think it's theirs. And we're simply stewards. And I don't understand a Christ follower who doesn't tithe or doesn't give to missions. It, it blows my mind. But, but when you know the truth about Jesus, it'll affect you. You say, Pastor, you'll run people off. I don't want to run people off. I just want you to know the truth because I know the blessing of giving. I know the blessing of living and following God. Am I perfect? No, I fall on my face, but I'm quick to get up. I'm going to keep pursuing Jesus. Amen. I think that's what he's calling us to. Listen, it's not a perfection. You might not be able to, you say, I can't do 10%. Start with five. Start with two. Work your way up. But I would not allow myself not to have the DNA of my father. How can we say we're his and we don't have his DNA? His DNA is God so loved he gave. Somebody say amen. I'm preaching better than you're responding right now. Amen. Oh, I love this. I learned so much. I love this. I love you. It, God is so good. This word is so amazing. There's an urgency. There's an urgency. If you haven't received Christ, I don't know when my last invitation, I don't know when the last call, I don't know what it is. I don't know when I'll give the last invitation. This might be the last invitation I ever give. I don't want, to, want it to be, but it could be. We're not promised tomorrow. That's what the Bible says. And then for those of us who name the name of Jesus, if we claim to know Christ and we're not changed by this transforming truth, then oh God, work in us to the point that we are changed. Anybody feel like God's speaking that to your heart right now? You lift your hand. God, change me, change me. Touch me to the point that I see things different the way you see it. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Island Church Podcast. For more information, visit islandchurch.tv.